we are going to be viewing some videos. Uh, so we're going to be doing much more of watching a different video every week and then having some discussion about that video than necessarily a formal class where a teacher is trying to teach you something. So in one sense, we're going to have a, a guest speaker uh, every week. And these videos are from what is known as the Q Conference, which is sort of like a Christian version of the TED Talks. But I'm going to begin this morning by uh, having our esteemed panelists introduce themselves. Every week there are going to be between two and six of us up here trying to help and facilitate the discussion. So let me begin with you. All right. My name is Scott Schwigger. This is my wife, Jessica. Uh, we've gone to Otter Creek for almost, 15. Yeah, 15 years. We moved away once and moved back. Uh, we have three kids. Um, we like to garden the outside, anything else about us? Oh, uh, yeah, we have a, a door prize, that's unusual. There's two bags of turnip greens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to walk right here. What's up? Okay. <laughs> you know, I'll take them. <laughs> that's right. Odell, I should have put them. I love that. Jessica, Jessica, we've done a bumper crop of turnips and beets. See if you can match that next week. That's right. That's right. I, I, I have no idea what's about that. No tomatoes yet. We have chickens. Maybe we'll bring a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we do like to farm. Um, I say farm. We have a hobby farm. So we like to work outside, raise animals. We're excited about this. Thank you all for being here. And please, please, please join in the discussion. This class will be uh, as good as we make it. So. Please speak up. And I'm Terry Harwell. I go with Roger. Uh, we've been at Otter Creek for two years, I believe, and I teach first grade. So I'm used to teaching and talking to people who are under four feet tall. So this is a stretch to my um, realm of knowledge here to be up in front of grown-ups. So I've been looking forward to it. Yes, and I'm, I'm Roger, Roger Harwell. Um, We've been in the Nashville area about three years, and I work for I work in the IT department at Lockway Christian Resources. We're glad to be with you today. Also, Steve and Magda Sherman will be a couple more of our panelists as well. And so that format allows us, with everyone traveling so much in the summer, or just uh, whoever's here that particular Sunday. And, and I think the format works well for you as you're traveling. So let's begin with uh, with our announcements. Yeah, before we do, let me, one other bit of housekeeping. We are recording this. Grab them up. We, yep. There's two or three of these. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. Down in front. I mean, down in front. Yeah, come on down. So we, I was going to say, we're recording this uh, for posting as a podcast. Uh, yeah, so maybe watch what you say. <laughs> so yeah, as mentioned, uh, these all of these videos are from the Q conference, and so each week we're going to get to hear a, a, a different speaker uh, on a different topic, but generally speaking, every one of the topics has something to do with the church and <coughs> culture, so how, how do we as the church respond to our culture today? How many of you are familiar with in Bosnia? She's pretty well known, especially in the ladies' Bible study circuit. Um, 
she had a, a very popular New York Times bestseller book um, seven years ago, I think, came out in 2010, called 1,000 Gifts. And today's video is basically sort of her 10-minute summary of, of that book. It's, it's a lot about that, that same topic. She's had another book to come out last year called um, The Broken Way, which has to do with us as Christians finding God in our suffering and in our brokenness. Um, but uh, and anyway, at any rate, let's just go ahead and, and get started. Uh, sort of make some mental notes to yourself as we're going through so that we can come back and have uh, a discussion about this uh, when, when we're finished. There are some sound difficulties uh, in the video about seven minutes in, so she, the, the sound goes completely off for about five seconds, so uh, realize that's on their end and not technical difficulties on our end. Let me know if I need to turn up the volume. The guy down at your corner store. He heard the Harvard academics in their white lab coats. Proved that the guy in probation and the kid cutting yourself and the woman who just wants to throw in the towel and everybody else facing their own hard battles. If they wrote down just three things a day they were grateful for, they were less depressed, less suicidal, less apathetic than those who didn't practice lifestyle gratitude. That's what the guy thought. Well, take it or leave it. We all get to decide, doxology or dark. So it happened all around town, these guys picking up their pen and writing down three gifts a day. Because the research indicated that recording those blessings was cognitive training, a way of reorganizing your brain to focus on goodness. That it increases an individual's positive focus by 25%. What community, what family, what city doesn't need to increase their positive focus by 25% for free? So the women in the carpool line, they started counting gifts while they waited. And they could testify exactly what the scientific research proved. Those who practice lifestyle gratitude, who pick up a pen and just write down three things they're grateful for each day, have higher levels of alertness, enthusiasm, optimism, attentiveness, energy. We're more motivated, likable, other-oriented, forgiving, generous, helpful, more likely to volunteer, and more likely to give back. So the whole town found out. Giving thanks and giving back are Siamese twins. They move as one. Hundreds of experiments across countless labs posit one deafening conclusion. Gratitude interventions result in radical, transformative improvements to personal and societal well-being. So that's what the community said. Take it or leave it. We all get to decide doxology or dark. And Chesterton said thanks is the highest form of thought. To think is to thank. And if we aren't the people known for thanking God, maybe we aren't thinking enough of God. So it started a bit like a revolution around town. People in queues and in checkout queues all looking for the good to be grateful for, and they witnessed it firsthand. Gratitude decreases selfishness, decreases greed, increases a focus on good, which increases levels of trust, which all together constitutes the necessary elements 
for societal flourishing. That was their epiphany. Gratitude is what lies at the very heart of ethical societal ethics. Instead of making the misstep of relegating gratitude to the realm of domesticity or feminine piety or Pollyannism, they experienced the transformation. Any deep healing in community will always be associated with deep gratitude. Now, the strange thing is, in spite of the magnitude of the benefits of gratitude, the White Coat Lab folks found that gratitude often makes men feel anxious because of their sense of indebtedness and obligation and self-sufficiency. But the men who did count three gifts a day, in fact, experienced a greater sense of well-being from the gratitude interventions than women. Though men may not initially value gratitude, like women, they actually have more to gain from gratitude than women. That's what the guys around town realized. First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God. That's exactly what the whole community awakened to. Just like when Jehoshaphat sent that choir out in front of the army singing, give thanks to the Lord, and gratitude sent the dark horde fleeing, the determining factor of defeating the dark is not a strategy of reactivity or hostility or negativity, but a strategy of doxology. So that guy in the hard marriage and the woman with the harder kid, that's what they did every single time they faced the dark. They closed their eyes and saw themselves standing in the dark hole with a shovel. And no matter how hard you try to shovel out the dark, more darkness sweeps in. Because this is always the thing. You cannot force out the darkness. What you can do is reflect the light, amplify the light, magnify the light, so more light drives out the darkness. To pay the dark most of our attention is to mostly praise the devil. To focus on the dark makes the dark seem stronger than the light, which is precisely why now is the time for a radical rising of gratitude, of light amplifiers. Gratitude amplifies goodness so that you can hear the grace of God. Gratitude amplifies the light of God so you can see the face of God in the midst of the dark. There was this woman who counted three gifts a day, who amplified the light, and she held up a photo of her baby for me to see because she canceled her appointment for an abortion, because she realized even the unexpected can be counted as a gift. There was a man who held up the point of his pen and whispered to me how he planned on plunging the point of a gun to the temple and ending it all. But the point of that pen counting gifts had amplified all this light that he hadn't seen before, and he was walking toward that light. And there are these one million people who have dared to live lifestyle gratitude, to amplify the goodness of his redemptive light, and they testify to change souls and cities. If you're grateful, you're not fearful. And if you're not fearful, you're not violent, you're peaceful. If you're grateful, you act out of the truth of abundance and not the myth of scarcity, and you become a reign of generosity that we all desperately need. Those one million people who kept thanks on their lips for their colleagues their kids <coughs> they testified that gratitude stopped vicious cycles of dysfunction and created these virtuous cycles gratefulness amplifies goodness which enhances wellness which magnifies generousness and multiplies more gratefulness breaking vicious cycles and creating virtue
happens after the resolution of issues. But the universal pattern throughout scripture and the studies and their own experiences is this powerful paradox. There has to be a revolution of authentic gratitude for there to be an authentic resolution of issues. They all thought when you are finally joyful, then you can finally be grateful. But the scripture and studies and their own gratitude interventions proved otherwise. Only when you finally give thanks will you finally get to be joyful. Being joyful isn't what makes you grateful. Being grateful is what makes you joyful. Gratitude in our circumstances is essential to our wholeness as any change in our circumstances. And yeah, I know. You may be thinking the dark you're facing in your community, your family, your city, your life is too dark. But Jesus, when he was staring right into the very face of evil, what does he do? Out of a universe of supernatural options, what does Jesus decide? And on the night he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread, lifted it, and gave thanks. If Jesus can give thanks in that, you can give thanks in anything. If Jesus chooses gratitude as elemental in destroying evil, do you have a better weapon against the dark? If out of a cosmos of choices, Jesus chose to give thanks in the face of evil, then maybe our giving thanks is how we advance the good. Gloria Steinem, she said it once, gratitude never radicalized anybody. But you ask the one million people who dared to count 1,000 gifts of their own. And that's what they all say. Gratitude never fails to radicalize the radically grateful. When you are radically grateful for what you have, you will go to radical lengths to share it. When you are radically grateful for being blessed, you are radically generous to the oppressed. You can't be truly grateful and not be moved. Gratitude starts movements. Real gratitude doesn't make you apathetic. It makes you a real activist. Radical gratitude is the attitude of the revolutionaries. So the world turns and life searches up one grace given after another. The last of the light catching right now in a maple tree down in Central Park. Some elderly woman thanking a man right now as he helps her off a bus in LA. A cop keeping his beat on the back streets of a quiet town in Kansas. A dying child in a hospital right now in Georgia being tended to by a nurse with aching feet. And your heart beating 100,000 times a day and 190,000 stars being birthed over us every single minute. And we all know we need someone to thank. And the people known by gratitude are the ones who can make God. The people known by gratitude make their life about the language of gratitude, that language of friendship with man and of friendship with God. Because the one word, get off of Facebook. <laughs> We're using the Wi-Fi. 
that will come, unplanned to your lips at your very end, is the one word worth planning to live your one and very beautiful life by. Thanks. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so close. <laughs> Almost got the whole thing buffered before. We got the things coming for this each section, so make sure that it stays in your section for the sign up. Oh, okay. for the form. Okay. Uh, to me, Voskamp speaks a lot like she writes. It's a much more uh, poetic form of, of prose uh, than, than maybe we're accustomed to. Um, but I think it makes for a very beautiful book and makes for a very beautiful speech as, as well. Uh, while it's nonfiction, still it, it um, speaks to us at a level the way lyrics of our songs or, or, or the poems speak to us. Um, we're a church that really, really emphasizes spiritual formation and use of the spiritual disciplines to form us, to transform us into being more like Jesus. Um, to draw closer to, to come into union with God. Do you think that this, um, uh, that Voskamp's talk today had anything to do with spiritual formation or any spiritual discipline? I'll say yes. Um, I, I, I've got a, Jessica gave me for Christmas a journal. It's just a it's a daily, it's sort of like a journal for people that are bad at journaling. It, it has prompts in it uh, for like two thirds of the page is for the morning and about a third of the page is for the evening. And a big portion of the morning exercise is just naming three things you're grateful for. And when I do it, I mean, it, it changes my outlook on the day. Um, and, it, and it shapes my sort of plan for the day. Um, so it's a, absolutely a powerful, spiritual discipline. Uh, I, I, I buy into the doxology or dark choice. Yes. So. Has anyone done uh, taken her challenge of a th writing down a thousand things in, in one year? Yeah. Do you want to share what how that did work in your well, life? Um, I, I would uh, Oh yeah. Here, here I could be like for all the I was just completely taken by her first book, and the second one is equally as good, if not better. But she says that gratitude saved her life. Uh, she had a very troubled uh, childhood. She, when she was small, uh, a smaller child in their family was run over by a, a truck, and they were witnesses to that. And that is the time when she begins talking about her brokenness. As she grew up and in um, high school and college and even later, part of her coping was um, to cut herself. She felt like that when the blood flowed that the evil and the, the bad flowed from uh, her arm. And a friend, uh, dared her to write down a thousand yes. I'm probably saying more than I need. This is great. Anyway, she 
she dared her to write down a thousand gifts. And, um, and she did, and she kept going. Um, she has six children and they live on a farm, and it's interesting. She never names her husband, she calls him Farmer. And uh, I just love that. Uh, but she had this gift of just seeing um, light come through the window and, and all the different colors uh, in the light. She chose very common, ordinary things to be grateful for, uh, you know, for the turning of the leaves in the fall and, and just uh, a child bringing in a flower to her. Uh, it was just not a difficult thing to do, and it was not a difficult thing to do for me, but it really did awaken uh, something within me to make me realize that I take for granted so much of what I have, and, and from you know spiritual blessings, physical blessings, all kinds of blessings. Uh, I, I sort of focused on my grandchildren uh, as I did much of mine, and I had a lot to be thankful for there. But I will have to say that it truly was life-changing for me. It, it isn't difficult to read, and uh, as you said, uh, she writes in broken sentences and uh, sentence fragments and that sort of thing. But there is that poetic quality. But um, it just grabbed me, and I could barely put it down. And I have a journal down that I keep. It. She, she has a devotional book and a journal book and that sort of thing. But uh, yes, it makes a difference. It makes a real difference in our lives. Thank you. Anybody else want to? Anyone else want to share an experience from practicing that discipline? Yeah. Uh, the, the question is, is it easier to be grateful when you have little than when you live in a society where you have a great deal? Is it, is it, is the, as our attitude set, wow, look at all that I've done. Otherwise, for the one that is, is in a society with very little, to say, thank you for what I have. What That's are a great think? question, John. I'm reading um, Bethany Williams, uh, Haley Williams' book right now, and she talks about that in her book, Has Anyone Read The Color of Grace? She talks about how um, she was almost slapped in the face, sort of, uh, I think, emotionally or whatever, with that experience over in the in Congo of how they did not take really anything for granted, and it built within them this strength um, that she has noticed is sort of missing from our culture of ease, that we are missing some strength from that. But does anyone else want to answer to John's question? I think it, within that within that statement, there's almost an assumption of the more that you have, the more stuff you have, the more you should be grateful for. But kind of to your point, it's, that's an American culture mindset to say, if you have, you acquire a bunch of things, then yes, you should be obviously grateful because of the abundance and whatnot, but if you travel to any other country, <coughs> primarily outside that, that is either impoverished or whatever, you find um, a, a lot of times you find a greater sense of humility and thankfulness for what we would consider very little. Um, but 
I think that it's just, I think it's a mindset in terms of um, what you consider, um, what, what you consider things to be thankful for. I'm sure if, you, if I were to do this challenge, like it probably would start off with material blessings. And then once you kind of run through those, you start to get to the core of things that really matter, whether that's family, spiritual, um, a lot more intangible things like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if that's kind of a, a way that we're defaultly wired to think about it is if you have stuff, then stuff, you know, by our measure, then that's what makes you grateful. Yeah, Jesus did say it's, it's harder for a rich man to enter his kingdom for for a reason. I think it it is easy, not necessarily that it would definitely have, but it is easier the more we have, the more we feel entitled. And to me, that's sort of the, uh, the opposite of, of the gratitude. It's an entitlement. Uh, and entitlement leads us to, um, uh, to a worldview of, of scarcity rather than gratitude leading us to understanding that we live in a, in a world of God's abundance. Well, that was kind of what I was going to say is our culture is a culture of entitlement. So many things don't go our way. We have a tendency rather than to count our blessings to stomp our feet and say, I mean, instead of looking at all that we have and being thankful. Um, when our son, Brandon, our second son was born, and we were living in Atlanta, and he had some health issues. And literally for at least two months, my husband and I got about two hours of sleep a night. And if you've ever been through a very long period of time where you need that much sleep and you're dealing with a child and you don't know what's going on, it changes you mentally. Um, when we kind of got on the other side of that, um, I realized it had really changed my psyche. Like I was, I was just so exhausted all the time and I found myself critical and um, just, it was just not a good place. And I, of course, Ann basketball camp wasn't around then, but for whatever reason, I decided to start journaling at night. And I would just sit down and thank God for everything I could think of. And it changed me. It, it really, it, it turned all that, like I would get up in the morning instead of getting in the shower and thinking, how am I gonna function with two babies today? I, I would get up and just be thankful for whatever I had. Um, thankfulness changes you. My mother passed away a year and a half ago, and when I'm really sad, I start thanking God for all the things that I had with her. It changes you. It's true. It really does. Thank you. Hey, silverware, our shower curtains, 
none of it was ours. And it was probably one of the happiest, most carefree times of our lives. And the opposite of that was I was having to write these lost lists for the insurance. So instead of writing page after page of things that I was grateful for, I was having to write page after page after page of things that were we, you know, that we had lost in the fire that were belongings and material possessions. And it just made me feel sick. Like it was just, that was probably the hardest part of the whole thing was just like, why did I need all of this stuff? You know, it was kind of like when you list those things, which are the things that society says, you know, oh, you have that many pages of lost lists and all these items and, you know, it, it didn't, it made me feel sick instead of making me feel grateful that I had all that stuff and that I was now seeking. To, and I always said, I'm not gonna do this again, but of course, you know, you fall into those traps again or whatever, but it was kind of like the opposite of the thousand gifts, it was like the thousand burdens. Like, you know, just, I mean, just, but just like that, it was such a life lesson and such a, a I feel like um, it just really opened my eyes to yeah, so when, when it was just me and Matt and Sophie in our little rental and nothing was ours, it was, we were so grateful, you know, because we had so much else that we were grateful for, so. That's a great experience, and I thank you for sharing. Okay, so I'm gonna give a little pushback. Um, not just because I love the darkness. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I just wanted to say, I think one thing I would be curious about is this kind of saying doxology or darkness or thankfulness or fear. I wonder if, um, I think what some of the stories you guys are sharing is kind of making me think. It's, I think gratitude forms us for the ability to handle fear or to face fear with a sense of God's presence there. And I think about the image of Christ giving thanks at the communion meal, and then later having the anxiety for it, the garden, you know, so those things go together. So I just wonder if we could maybe, that way we don't feel like failures when we do feel those feelings of fear and doubt. Um, but the gratitude, just like for the everyday graces, is forming us for the ability to remain, you know, in a posture of trust. And Lauren, I think that's so important, like gratefulness does not erase what our life is going to bring us. Those trials are not going to be gone. Um, I'll do one quick testimony for me. Um, I read 1,000 Gifts um, three years ago, right before I had a health trial. and I didn't know I was about to have a health trial that lasted um, a good year. So I was rear-ended, I had a neck injury, and then that kind of, we were building our house, had a bunch of stress, and then that kind of kicked off my body sort of went, okay, I can't take all of this, you know, stimulation. And um, so I had a bunch of uh, problems to work through and health things to work through. And um, by God's grace and reading this book, and my, he put this in my life right before all that, I would be laying on the bed with no energy to get up and take care of what I needed to take care of. And I thought, I'm so grateful God's made me slow down. I would have never thought that had I not had this practice of gratefulness. I was where I was writing down three gifts a day, and it got to be easy to write down five and seven, and it was like it just it really changed my whole outlook, like you said. And um, I know God's time. I know that was God's timing that I read that book before I went through that trial, because it made it so easy to go to go through it and um, to accept where I was and to be grateful for where I was. And, um, 
Yeah, I think I kind of identify a lot more because I work with men who are in recovery and they're in their dark, but they still have to find gratitude. And so I, it can't be either or. And I think sometimes we, we beat ourselves up that we can't find the gratitude, that we can't find the happiness. But sometimes it's just the very fact that there is hope of gratitude and that we have a, a joy. And it was interesting that she talked about joy and we always, I mean, I, growing up, my mom always said, you know, comparison is a theft of joy. And I think that a lot of what we were talking about and uh, whether we have a lot of something or if we go to someone's house and they have a bigger house than we have, we no longer have that ability to be grat- gracious. We are now in the point of where we are comparing and we can't be gratitude. We can't have gratitude. Um, and, you know, it's even to the symbolness of we can't even be grateful that they invited us to their house. We were now bitter the fact that they invited us to their house to show how little we have. And so I think there's just there's a lot that that sometimes in the darkness is the only time we can actually see some of the gratitude that we have because we're we're blinded when things are going well. It's easy for us to be blinded by our own ability to do something. But sometimes in the dark is when we can see those joys that sparkle that are the small things, such as the child bringing a flower or just the leaves turning. Because when you're busy with all the other stuff and things are going well, you don't see that as easily as in the darkness. Yeah, somebody, I'm going to, somebody, I think it was Roger just brought up the idea of spiritual discipline. But when I heard, um, heard talk about Christ breaking break bread and giving thanks before that Last Supper meal, I first thought, well, that's just what you do. You, you give thanks before you eat, before you break the bread. And so I don't know that that's really significant. But maybe that's me just being cranky. But maybe that's the point, right? Maybe the point is you give thanks in the good times before you eat so that when you get to the darkest times, it's just muscle memory. You're giving, you're giving thanks before you eat. And... And when you're eating that last meal before you're about to sweat and bleed in the garden and, and go to the darkest place, <coughs> you've got that discipline ingrained uh, in you to sustain you through the dark. Um, so, you know, this is a muscle we can build um, that we can that will serve us in that dark time. The discipline that uh, the spiritual discipline that you can use to do that is called examine. Uh, and another word is consolation, desolation. Uh, and what it has you to do is uh, you sit in God's presence, and then you come back and talk about gifts God has given you during the day. And then you come back and look at what has been like giving from God and what's been like taking. And those things that have been like taking, if it's been a sin or something, you can ask for forgiveness and, and then move on. So the discipline of examine would would take gratefulness into a level of thinking about what's given you life con- compared to what takes away life. And anything, anything that God does gives you life. doesn't take away the trials, but it, it leads you to life. Yeah, that doxology or dark stood out to me a little bit. I would agree with Lauren and David that you know, that might be a false dichotomy. A dualism 
and that where we really find our contentment is in the tension between the two. And that's what the spiritual disciplines help us to do uh, as, as well. Uh, I really liked that she talked about, I think, cognitive training or um, building a muscle memory. I think it's muscle memory. Uh, because she, she alluded to the science. There's science and psychology that shows that practicing these kinds of disciplines, or this discipline of gratitude or some kind of contemplative prayer, literally changes the neural pathways in our minds. And I'm fascinated by that intersection of, of psychology or neurology and faith. In fact, there's a new science that has arisen out of that called neurotheology, which is, is fascinating to me. I think we are out of time today, so thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for your participation. This was great.